You're listening to the Dreamer's Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. I've been looking forward to having a conversation with Bob Quinn since I first started planning this podcast. Bob was one of my acupuncture and herbal medicine professors, and he was the host of the dream workshop I attended with Jeremy Taylor in 2012. You're going to hear some golden practical tips from a man whose waking life is, as he puts it, a wash in dreams. He talks about the value of working three dreams from one person and watching for themes to repeat three times. He shares how to check for confirmation of whatever it is that we think we know, which is really what we project that we know about another person's dream. Before I say a little more about this interview and then jump into it, let me make sure you know that there's one week left to join the Dreamer's Den membership community. Doors will be open until May 29th. You can join right now at the founding member rate, which is on a sliding scale between three and 24 US dollars per month. You select the contribution amount that works for you and your financial situation right now. The monthly contribution will increase when I open up the doors for new members again later this year, but if you join now, you'll keep your founding member rate for life. I'd love to have you in the community. It's a place to deepen your own relationship with your dreams, to make meaningful connections with other dreamers, and to learn about and experience your dreams in new ways. When you join, you gain four things every month. Access to a members-only forum, a live dream work call with the community, 50% off tickets to the live events hosted by the Dreamers Den, and a members-only price for any one-on-one dream work sessions you want to schedule with me. In the members-only forum, I offer an invitation or a prompt every month for you to engage with your dreams in a new way, and then we all share our experiences with each other and help each other explore whatever we're discovering in our dreams. And you can participate as much or as little as you like. When those moments are right, we're there for you and your dreams. I know not everyone in your life wants to hear your dreams. Everyone in the dreamer's den, though, not only cares about their own dreams, They think yours are interesting and important too. You're going to hear Bob in this interview talk about how important it is to have the diverse perspectives of everyone in a dream group. I mean it sincerely when I say that I hope you will join us because your voice, your life experience, and your imagination will enrich the community for everyone else. If you're intrigued by your own dreams and the growth inspiration, and connection they're offering you, I trust you'll love being a member of The Dreamer's Den. Visit thedreamersden.org to learn more and to join.
A couple more things now to give some more context for this interview you're about to hear. My fellow acupuncturists will be right there with us for this whole conversation. There is a little bit of shop talk using some lingo of the Chinese medicine profession. Bob even tells us his preferred translation of an ancient Chinese medical text. But this episode is also for all of you who are anywhere from curious to passionate about dreams. Bob shares a story of a dream changing someone's life, two people's lives actually, and by extension, mine, and maybe yours. Listen for the experience his patient had. Her experience is key for me because even if there weren't any Chinese medicine interpretation, experiences like the one she had influence our lives from that day forward. Bob also speaks about his appreciation for several teachers in his life, including Heiner Fruhoff and Jeremy Taylor. I want to mention one more as well, Dr. Ed Neal. Around the 45-minute mark of this interview, Bob and I each answer this question. What's going on when people dream in the symbols of Chinese medicine, even when they've never heard of this symbol system? You'll hear Bob appreciate the way I express my answer, and I want to say that I learned to think and speak in that way largely from Ed Neal. As much as Heiner Fruhoff expanded my understanding of this science of symbols, Dr. Neal taught me how to view the five elements as an expression of the expanding and contracting of all things in the universe. The free PDF I have online for you, How the Five Elements Are Speaking in Your Dreams, is also influenced by another extraordinary Chinese medicine teacher, Jeffrey Yuan. So if you want to dive deeper on what I describe, get my full write-up about it at thedreamersden.org open. I also want to share with you, for any of you who are not acupuncturists or not very familiar with acupuncture, an acupuncturist selects which points to treat from among hundreds of points on the body. We want to have a solid reason and preferably multiple reasons for selecting any single point. In Bob's story, it's significant that this patient had only maybe been benefiting from acupuncture before the day she shared her dream. This type of medicine is often tremendously helpful for people dealing with anxiety, but this patient was not significantly improving. And then after this single treatment, including an acupuncture needle placed at a point he chose because of her dream, she experienced something profound in the moment and then had lasting change. Okay, let's go to this conversation. My guest today is Bob Quinn. Bob is a professor at the National University of Natural Medicine in the School of Classical Chinese Medicine in Portland, Oregon. He teaches acupuncture and bodywork and supervises in the student intern clinic. He started working with dreams in Jeremy Taylor's method in 1993 and later became certified through the Marin Institute of Projective Dreamwork. Over the last 10 plus years, he has worked hundreds of dreams for patients and students with his basic, learnable approach to dreamwork through the lens of Chinese symbol science. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for having me. I've, I've looked forward to this. Me too. Let's, let's dive right in. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about how you got started in this and especially 
how it was that you realized dreams really mattered to you. Sure. Long before I got into the Chinese medicine aspect of dreams, I was a student of Jeremy Taylor's way of doing dreams. And that started in, I can't remember exactly, it was 92 or 93. And why did dreams become important to me then? Well, it was because I was in a very difficult place uh, emotionally. I was clearly heading for a divorce, a very difficult time in my life. I was also on top of that, very dissatisfied in my career. I could see the end of the road. But for me, in uh, public school education, I was teaching high school math and German. So the two coming together, the personal relationship difficulty, the need for a career change, created a situation in my life where I felt very challenged. One of the Spanish teachers in our uh, high school, she, her husband ran a men's dream group. He had gotten his master's degree at uh, Holy Names College at the Institute for Culture and Creation Spirituality. This was an institute started by the renegade priest, uh, Matthew Fox. Since then, he's been forced out of the Catholic Church. He's Episcopalian now. But he started this program, and Jeremy Taylor was one of the teachers. Now, this husband of this colleague of mine, uh, he, he did his master's work on the dreams of Thomas Merton. Mm -hmm. uh, a curious little tidbit, the last time I was with Jeremy Taylor. I, it was a third or third time I had hosted him, maybe fourth time I had hosted him here in Portland. And it turned out to be the hundredth uh, anniversary of the birth of Thomas Merton. Oh, wow. So funny coming together for me that it all started for me with someone who was fascinated with Merton's published dreams. And uh, then it kind of ended for me and Jeremy there because uh, yeah, you know, he passed away before I had a chance to be with him uh, physically again. Yeah. So it started with that. And even though I had a degree in literature, and you would think I had some facility working with images, I was very challenged in that initial men's group. Uh, there were two others who had also studied with Jeremy at Holy Names College. Uh, and so they had a certain degree of comfort in his method, which by the way, he calls projective dream work. Um, and for me, I just felt so overwhelmed that they could hear these crazy disparate elements of a dream and weave a coherent tapestry from it. I just, I didn't see any hope whatsoever that I would ever be able to do that. Uh -huh. Uh, and I still actually, every time a student um, shares, they ask, can they share a dream with me? And uh, my, my whole waking life is always afloat in dreams. And every time someone asks to share a dream, I revisit with trepidation that same feeling like, oh, people think I'm going to offer something profound and I'm going to be totally lost and I'm, I'm going to be, you know, not helpful at all, not be able to say anything uh, coherent or insightful. Uh-huh. That fear never actually leaves me, uh, but it, it's not so dominating as it was back then. 
So from those early days, uh, it was a few years later, I started studying in a formal way, Chinese medicine in 1995. And uh, it was probably 13 years or so before in one very interesting moment at our college, um, now it's a university, then it was still a college. Uh, this, uh, the, the two came together, my interest in Jeremy's work and uh, my interest in traditional East Asian medicine. And, and since then it's been no turning back. Uh, as I say, my life is awash in dreams. Uh, my wife is a psychotherapist and um, occasionally, not, not occasionally, actually often, maybe a few times a month, patients will share dreams with her and ask her to give them to me. I get oh, wow. permission from the patient uh, to offer insight. And sometimes it's Chinese medicine insight. Sometimes I'll just say something that I, I think will be uh, helpful for them and, uh, and kind of work the dream the way uh, Jeremy Taylor himself would just use his projective method. Uh-huh. And uh, it's helpful, and this was an idea of Jung as well, if you, if you have more than one dream, uh, three is really ideal. And then you can look for themes. The images will not be at all alike, um, but the themes, if you learn to look for that sort of thing, uh, they will be. And maybe in one dream, the, the sun goes up and down. In another dream, you're in an elevator. That's the same theme, right? An yeah. elevator goes up and down. The sun goes up and down. And that, by the way, is a yin-yang uh, way of showing up in the dream also, right? Going up would be yang. Uh, going down would be yin. Right, right. Uh, do you want me to tell about that first dream and how that came? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people listening who are really curious about what you do and what I do, largely inspired by you in hearing dreams from patients and letting that inform us, mm -hmm. um, inform the conversation with the patient and guide us in our thinking about healing. So I think it would be great to, to um, hear a story like that, if that's where you were going. Right. Well, this was a turning point for me. I always thought, uh, I could probably find uh, the chart with a little bit of research, find the exact date that this happened and look at the astrology because for me it was momentous and for the patient as well. But yeah. let me tell the story. We had a, a patient to probably late 20s, 28, I'm guessing, something like that, had been coming to the a group acupuncture ship. So this is uh, just in a room. I think we had six or so chase lounges set up. No, actually eight, because every practitioner on my shift, every student intern had two chase lounges. And we saw usually 22 people in four hours. So it's a snapping my fingers. It's a very uh, fast pace you have to keep to. Yeah. All in one room. Uh, and uh, this was, we created the shift because students had an interest, some of them in going to work in what are called community acupuncture uh, clinics, uh, where that is the treatment model. Uh, patients are all in one, one big room together and <laughs> treated usually using points on the legs and arms and head and ear. Anyway, this patient, her chief complaint was anxiety 
and, and it was not uh, just mild anxiety. There, there were many days she couldn't leave her house. Uh, to just too uh, full of trepidation to go out and engage with life. And uh, she didn't come every week that I recall. And uh, I thought that maybe we, if we're being kind to ourselves, we were helping her a little bit. Mm. And some months go by, four or five months, something like that. And then one day uh, in the intake, and I'm listening over the student intern's shoulder, she says, uh, I'm thinking of applying to a master's program in transpersonal psychology. But inside myself, I thought, uh, well, boy, we ought to first get, get you to the place where you can walk outside your door reliably day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't say that, but I was full of, uh, I don't know what you want to say worry, but just that as she was putting the cart before the horse. And uh, so the student and I just decided uh, where the needles would go, how we were understanding the case, what we were going to do for this patient. And the needles were actually already in. The intern had moved on to uh, a computer station to chart the treatment, and it was just me and the patient. And I still, to this day, I don't know, was I nudged by an angel or what was my thought? I certainly wasn't thinking about doing Chinese medicine with dreams, but I asked her, have you had any dreams lately? And she said, no. So I turned to walk away. Then she says, well, just a fragment. Well, there's in one of Jeremy's books, and he's a brilliant writer, uh, again, Jeremy Taylor. He has an amazing story about how a life can turn on a dime just from a dream fragment and the barest whisper in his book of a fragment. I remember that story. It's like a color. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and and that particular dreamer in the book, his whole life changed completely from a career and sexual identity and everything. Yeah. So, but I'm not Jeremy Taylor. And uh, so I think, well, even though it's only a fragment, let's hear it. And she says, a snake on a road. Well, as I first learned Jeremy's method back in the 90s, he said, well, first, leave some space to ask uh, clarifying questions. Maybe there are only bones for the dream, but sometimes the dreamer just gives you the bones, but there is flesh if you ask about it. And But this was on a group acupuncture shift. I had very little time. So very quickly, I have to come up with uh, the meaningful question so I have something to work with. I can do something with a snake on a road. A snake is the archetypal animal for the spleen organ network. That's not nothing. A road is either dirt or asphalt. It's not nothing. Yeah. And she's looking at it. So there's the the eyes of the... Well, actually, that came with the clarifying question. So the clarifying questions were, is it a dirt road? Is it paved? It's a dirt road. Are you in a city? Are you in the country? I'm in the countryside. <clears throat> Can you see anything else around? Are there houses? No houses. There are trees. Uh, is, are the trees at the moment green? Yes, they're green. What part of the snake do you see? We're facing each other. We see each other's eyes. Are you frightened? No, I'm not frightened. 
And do you see any colors? Yes, she answers immediately, green and yellow. Um, so with that, and uh, of course, maybe some of your listeners don't know that uh, here in this, in the West, we number the acupuncture points, right? We'll say the liver meridian has points one, two, three, four, five, and so on. And the spleen channel the same and the stomach the same. But in China, points aren't numbered. They're, they have names and they're often poetic, figurative names. Mm -hmm. Well, I looked at this dream and I thought, well, the snake, that goes to the spleen. That's an earth organ network. The snake is yellow in part. That's earth. There's a dirt road. That's earth. So I've got something emphasized three times. And this I always look for in my Chinese medicine dream work. I don't want to just take a one red item in a dream and say the dream is all about fire, right? Yeah. And so I had that. <clears throat> but then what else? Well, there's green. Is there anything else to support the green on the snake? Well, there's the green in the trees. There's the trees themselves. This is the wood element. And there's this visual focus on the eyes also generally goes to a liver. So I thought I've got the wood because liver is a wood organ. I've got wood and I've got earth. And I'm thinking really quickly that I'm going to put another needle in somewhere. And I don't even know why I had that thought, but I wanted to do something based on the dream. And this is something I'd never done before. So I thought, do I want an earth point on a wood channel that would narrow it to two? Or do I want um, wood point, an earth channel? So I thought, well, liver three is the earth point on the liver channel. And its name is Tai Chong. And uh, this means great thoroughfare. Well, I thought, uh, you know, a dirt road in the country is not a great thoroughfare, but it's a road. And a thoroughfare is a road. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna put a needle in liver three, which I think I did just, I only did one side of that, I'm certain. And I think I did it on her, her right uh, foot based just on palpating both sides and making a choice that way. And I said to the patient, I said, I think this needle has something to say about your dream. You might pay a little bit more attention there uh, meditatively. And I thought uh, the intern would maybe leave the needles in um, 25 minutes or so. Uh, that's kind of the max of what we could handle. But I saw it wasn't even 20 minutes and the intern, she went over and was taking out the needles. I couldn't go over right away, but I noticed the patient wasn't leaving. Uh, and so when I could, I went over I asked how she's doing. She said, you know, fine, in that kind of polite way. Uh -huh. um, I said, I'm curious, did uh, the needle have anything to say to you? And her eyes <clears throat> bulged out of her face. And, and she said, I became the eyes of the snake. Mm. Inside, I was reeling. And I, I didn't know... <laughs> really what to say, how to respond, because 
my whole world is like, oh, I was thinking, oh my God, this is big, 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 big. This is big. Mm-hmm. And uh, for her, it was clear she was shaken to her roots. Now, in my imagination, my memory is a little bit unclear, but I think she came one more time just to say a goodbye. Uh-huh. And then didn't see her uh, for months. And I started working dreams with all my patients, uh, just like crazy. Anyone had a dream, I wanted to hear it. And did a little research. I saw some people in Chinese medicine had written some things. And I saw Ling Shu 43, I believe is the chapter, about nothing but dreams. And they're used diagnostically. Yeah. And I um, I think the Unschuld translation, by far the best there, by the way. And I... After doing this two, three months, I found a phone number for Jeremy Taylor. I hadn't talked with him since, I'm sure it was probably 1994. Wow. I I didn't know that he knew me from Adams. This is way more than 10 years later, probably 15 years later. Um, I had kept my skills alive, by the way. I had, going through my acupuncture master's program, I had some dream work uh, buddies. Uh Uh-huh. We weren't bringing Chinese medicine in. And some students where I used to teach at OCOM, they knew of my interest in dreams and they would bring me dreams. But again, just to work them the way that Jeremy works them, not uh-huh. bringing in Chinese medicine as a symbol system. So I called uh, Jeremy and you know, he politely said he remembered me. I don't think there's any way, considering how many people he encounters. <laughs> He, of course, remembered Chris, the the guy who started the group, Uh uh, Eugene, because he had been his uh, master's uh, thesis advisor. And I told him what was going on. And he thought it was very interesting. Yeah, he had taught in Asia. He he had taught all over the world. But he hadn't written, and he knew that dreams uh, spoke often about health. That was not a stretch for him. Uh He had no familiarity with the Chinese medicine symbol system. And the good thing for you and for me is that we were there at NUNM with Heiner Fruhoff, who one of his main contributions to Chinese medicine uh, is this idea that Chinese medicine is an ancient symbol science. Yeah. And that phrase captures a very unique perspective. I don't know anyone else saying that. And so we, meaning you and I both have benefited by being there in a kind of a cocoon where that view is supported. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeremy said, well, I'll come. I, I think he just, this is how he made his living. His uh, wife did art at home. She had some real health challenges. Um, they, by the way, they, they died just a few days apart, one from another which reminds me of, of Buckminster Fuller and his wife. That yeah. same thing happened with them. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I, I think he just envisioned coming here, doing his normal thing and uh, you know, making a wage. That's what he did on the weekends. He flew all over God's green earth teaching or preaching the gospel of dream work. Uh-huh. And, um, he called himself an itinerant preacher right? He, his field, he, he was a minister. He, he'd had no real um, degrees in psychology to be doing this dream work that he was doing. 
uh, it was just self-taught. I mean, he was a serious scholar of dream work, uh, but it was acquired on his own. Uh, so that first uh, seminar, we did Friday night, two hours, just to acquaint of the participants with the method. And then all day Saturday, then he flew home uh, Saturday night. Well, I'll come back to that in a moment, but what happened on Monday? Um, in our college administration building, and I really, although I had been teaching there for some years, I didn't know my way around the offices there, and someone walks by, and I said to her, um, do you know where the, I think it was the registrar I was looking for. And she said, yeah, I think it's down there on the left and then a quick right. <clears throat> and she kept going and I said, wait, 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 wait a second. I said, didn't you used to come to my group acupuncture shift? There's probably a HIPAA violation, right, for me to say this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if and, you were alone in the hallway, maybe. It's okay. Yeah, we were alone in the hallway. <laughs> and she said, yeah, hi, Dr. Quinn, how are you? And I said, great i said you had that wild snake dream and she said yeah and you wouldn't believe what happened and she said that shook me so much i had to close up shop here and just go out and walk about and she said and i was in my car and i was just uh, camping and driving she said i'm driving on a dirt road through the desert in arizona and what crosses the road in front of me, but a giant rattlesnake. Hmm. She said, I parked the car and I started to follow it through the desert. Well, first of all, let's make the point. Does that sound like someone who's crippled with anxiety? No. Polar opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, in, in walking behind the snake through the desert, she called it a cosmic download. She said, a cosmic download came and I realized I wasn't supposed to study transpersonal psychology. I was supposed to study Chinese medicine. And she said, I had already applied here and been accepted, but I just found out I'm pregnant. And so mm. I'm putting it on hold. Hmm. And uh, I don't know, did this person ever uh, actually follow through? Uh, I treated uh, her daughter a number of times up until she was about two, but I haven't seen her. So I, I don't know actually how the story ends if she mm. actually stayed true to that cosmic download. And once the child was old enough that she could go back to school, yeah, certainly she was young enough uh, to do that and would mm -hmm. still be uh, probably today. So that part, I, I don't know, uh, but still an interesting uh, story. And that's what got me going. Uh, wow. and in, that, in that case, the, her dreams seemed to speak about an actual acupuncture point name. And I want to be clear, that's only happened probably 10 times for me. That uh -huh. maybe if I knew all of the 300 some odd point names better, they would happen more often. Mm -hmm. and, but I suspect it's actually not the most common way that dreams speak the language of Chinese medicine. I think it's more broad brushstroke than that often. Mm -hmm. And that was the very that was the Monday of your first the first time you hosted Jeremy. And the month he left Saturday night to fly back to San Francisco, and this was Monday right after that. That's just amazing that synchronicity of that. I mean, the whole thing yeah. is yeah. Amazing synchronicity, and I, I let Jeremy know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, our seminar blew his mind because 
probably 60% of the seminar attendees were acupuncturists. Uh-huh. And uh, the others were their patients who had an interest in dreams. Mm. And Jeremy just couldn't believe how all the acupuncturists just picked up on this theme of looking for, uh, it's not all five element, but five element uh, keynotes. There was one dream that was a, of a three-story building that was just an amazing dream. And we saw a story of the Sanjiao theory there. Uh-huh. And, and uh, some just focus on yin-yang. Some seem to speak of only uh, one organ network. Um, so it's varied how Chinese medicine comes through in a dream. And sometimes the Chinese element is not that clear to me, but I can still say something basic in a Jeremy sort of way to the dreamer that's very helpful in a way that impacts their health without without me pretending to be a Jungian dream therapist for them, mm-hmm. which I definitely don't want to be because unlike Jeremy, I'm not a serious scholar of the literature on dreams. And what I am looking for in dreams are insights to help them in Chinese medicine. That being said, I've spent enough time with Jeremy and enough time doing his method that I'm not without some skill and resources to work in the way that he did. And so when you do say something to a patient, do you, so when Jeremy worked dreams and when all the many people around the world who worked them following his example, work dreams, they do this kind of, you know, share projection. If this were my dream, I would think about yin and yang going up and down. And then if the dreamer has a sort of aha moment about that, then it's, uh, it's true for that dreamer and not just the person making the projection. And do you, do you find that, well, I don't know if you share in this way, but if you share with someone, okay, if this were my dream, here's what I might think about my health. um, Do you get a kind of an aha reaction? from the patient that can happen that the insight resonates on in terms of a health challenge uh, that can be that they well understand if you explain to them what metal means what earth means what mm-hmm. wood means, what yin yang means that they can uh, get on the same page with you there <clears throat> here we have to point out um that if it's one practitioner with one patient, you are in a weaker position uh, than you would be if you were in a dream group uh, because uh, your uh, biases might be exposed by others in the group uh, and that you're just trying to project a bias that's not really a a good right on, uh, spot on insight into the other's dream. Yeah. So we have to be, that's why I say I want a theme to repeat, be repeated at least three times in the mm-hmm. dream. But then I feel like I'm on somewhat stable ground because people can have their favorite uh, theory. Say you're a six confirmation kind of person and you want to put that square six confirmation into every round hole that comes uh-huh. it doesn't fit well it fit well well it fits well with a, a square hole we have to be a bit more flexible than that and let that's why i say stay in the images 
Now, I am helped because when I'm in the university health clinic with a patient, I have always at least one student with me, and sometimes I have five. Uh -huh. And if you give them uh, freedom to uh, associate and to see what stands out in the dream to them, then all of a sudden their, their insights can be exceedingly helpful to me. Uh, I can only see what I see what my assumptions and biases and creativity allows me to see. And uh, so Jeremy's reliance on groups, um, I think that was just brilliance on his part. And, uh, you know, he had his reasons for doing it. Uh, he came to DreamWork as a community organizer and he wanted to create kind of a shared intimacy among groups, say, groups that are traditionally oppressed, say Native American, say you're working in a Native American clinic or something of that sort. Um, and uh, getting to a certain uh, openness in that back historical background of oppression, he found dream work could break down barriers like nothing else. That's how he got into it first. Uh-huh. Now, of course, when he wasn't on weekends doing uh, group leading, he was on Zoom uh, all day long. Well, he gave himself breaks. He could have been on all day uh -huh. long. You know, he did art and he wrote books and he created time for his uh, for his wife and for, for uh, him to share. Uh, but yeah, he could have done one-on-one -on -one dream work eight hours a day. Uh, every day of the year there's yeah. that many people interested mm -hmm. I, I will say in passing that when i first did that and that was my ongoing contact with him i felt like he was more like uh doing pastoral counseling with me through dream work we stayed in touch regularly so i was one of those paying clients uh-huh but when i saw his price you know at that point he was I think about 45 years in this kind of clinical practice of dream work. And, uh, and I was doing his study program. He had the Marin Institute of projective dream work. Uh, so that got me a cheaper price, but it was, it was, I think it was $85 an hour. Oh, it, wow. was, it was a true hour. And I, I said, Jeremy, why are you charging me $85? I'd happily pay you more. He said, I hear it all the time. He was kind of tired by my question. <laughs> he said, listen, he said, people have been telling me for 30 years I should charge more. And I'll tell you exactly what will happen if I do. I'll work with rich white people all day long, and I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to have a price point that supported him fairly in his life uh, and supported his work, uh, but he wanted to have it be as affordable as possible so that people of more limited means uh, could check in with him with their dreams every every now and then mm -hmm. uh, which uh, to me you know it just uh, chokes me up he was a rare human being they're just I don't know anyone I ever met like like Jeremy he's just something else yeah that's really beautiful that that motivated him to stru structure his practice for, and coming from his social justice work, that really makes sense. It's true. It to was his. Far, far more important to him than the dream work, by the way. 
the, the dream work just serves the social justice agenda. <laughs> yeah. Way, way before gender politics became topical, uh, he was on board with that way, way, way before. That, that experience of watching people for decades discover you know, whatever you want to call it, the shadow sides of themselves or the parts of themselves that they mm -hmm. um, don't fully express that uh, almost inherently expands your view of mm -hmm. what a human being can be and how, how alike we all are at the same time. Right. So, And hearing you say those words in one sentence, expand and view, that's what happened to Jeremy himself that first weekend here in Portland. Mm. In his mind, he said, "There's I've been in the dream world forever, for decades, and there's a whole symbol system operative there that I was entirely blind to. He said, it just blows my mind. And he was so thrilled to come here every year. Uh, and then we stopped doing it as Friday night, two hours, and all day Saturday, then him flying home Saturday night. We started to do all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and he'd fly home. A Sunday night. I actually, Denise Connor, who I interviewed, she's a, a two episodes ago. She didn't say this on the podcast, but she did tell me that she remembers Jeremy coming back from the workshops you hosted and talking about how excited he was to experience the Chinese medicine lens to dreams, that that was the most exciting new thing for him in a long time. Right. Well, as I said, I I checked in regularly with him by phone to work and we just did a phone. Generally I'd be sitting in the parking lot at the uh -huh. university. He was in an ongoing way. So thrilled. He had me write one time his, his newsletter was a very popular newsletter. I wrote a, he wrote one about Chinese medicine uh, one time and I wrote one about Chinese medicine and he was just so kind to me encouraging my work along these lines because as i said i don't feel like i'm particularly well equipped uh, for this work because I, I say i'm not driven to read and become a scholar of dream work and <clears throat> luckily i had a, a dream uh, one time that that said to me in very clear symbolic terms uh, that it's fine that my approach is so simple, that there's mm -hmm. still value there. I wrote a, a blog last week. It'll come out uh, this coming week. I, for, for people interested in my thought, I write a blog for Blue Poppy. You can sign up for free for their newsle newsletter at bluepoppy.com. And in writing about beauty, <clears throat> what does beauty have to do with traditional East Asian medicine? This idea of, and I wrote a one that was already published, the simple and the sophisticated. It, in college, my uh, girlfriend was an art major and she had a, um, a colleague who was also art major. And I couldn't tell the difference between that other woman's paintings and a photograph. It was just so, perfectly photograph-like. But there are others in the department who painted more impressionistically. Some had multimedia, uh, some had real relief in the art. And my girlfriend was always kind of uh, irritated with me that I 
saw in that kind of sophisticated technical detail a higher level of art. And, and mm. she was right, of course, right? If someone at that time, say I'm on my wall, I'm looking at an Enso now, right? The uh -huh. Japanese Zen circle. If someone had suggested to me, the 19 or 20 year old Bob Quinn, that um, an Enso was art, I would have just not been open to the idea. I would have laughed it off. I'd say, well, give me, you know, a, a brush with uh, black ink on it and I'll draw a circle too. <laughs> right? I wouldn't have appreciated that in simplicity, just like this with the haiku poem, right? You only have a few syllables. Yeah. And yet to write a good haiku, if you've got three of them by the time you die and you've had it for 50 years, you've probably done well. And to draw an Enso that is real high level art is not, easy. I said in my blog, I could draw one, a paint one a day for a whole year. And at the end of the year, you still wouldn't want to look at what I did. <laughs> so in simplicity, there's the possibility uh, that something uh, can still be high art, can be valuable. And so my approach to Chinese medicine dream work is actually disarmingly simple. And that's good for the students who are interested in this and are on my shift with me because they can see uh, clearly the way I'm thinking. There's nothing sophisticated about it at all. Mm. Well, yes, maybe so and, and maybe not, right? I, I think, I actually don't remember who shared this lecture with us, but in my first year at NCNM, someone was talking about asking the master physician in his 90s, you know, what were you studying just now? He'd been reading and he says, oh, yin and yang. Yeah. I mean, these, these most simple concepts, the things that we get exposed to literally on day one are endlessly sophisticated and we can keep circling around them. And I mean, you, what you said in the beginning about still having the, the fear that you'll have no idea what a dream is about. I've heard many dream workers say that actually, you know, if, you, if we can use the word advanced in this situation anyway, it really experienced. And that that's very important, actually, that you don't think you know what's going on because uh -huh. you don't at first. You have to stay in that simplicity and that beginner's mind and mm -hmm. and let it unfold. So, you know, not to contradict you, I, I hear what you're saying, that there's a, there's a simplicity and a, a, a way that you're approaching all of this. But also I... You know, I don't want you to sell it short because just in the years of looking at dreams and looking at Chinese medicine as a science of symbols, how could it not become more and more sophisticated and refined at the same time when we circle around these symbolic concepts again and again? See, I was listening to Dan uh, Bensky this morning. He was giving the opening lecture at the big TCM Congress. Congress in uh, Rotenburg, Germany. Uh -huh. This year, because of the coronavirus, it's all virtual. Uh, so Dan was sitting in his office in Seattle uh, doing this. And his big, his topic was palpation. And one of his points was the point you just made, this about coming to something with an open mind. You know, he said you have to approach a palpation like that. You have to, to be willing to be surprised, not think that because someone's got a frozen shoulder that, you know, in the 
triple warmer or the small intestine channel, you're going to find some blockage. You have to be willing to let the palpatory findings speak what that they have to speak. So that is true with dreams that we have to, that, that's what I was trying to warn of earlier. We have our favorite theories and we can't try to fit them in everywhere. Now, the palpation is important to mention here. See, I, I gave a talk on Chinese medicine dream work at a Worsley Five Element conference. And uh, <clears throat> I felt I was barely uh, tolerated. Not that they weren't lovely people. I, I like the people in that style, but they're married to the idea of color, sound, odor, and emotion. And that's what they're going to pay attention to, period. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, this idea that uh, the dream might contain five element insights, uh, they were not open to that at all. And maybe a few in, in the audience were, but they didn't speak up. And the ones who spoke up said, it's a dangerous idea. Hmm. And I, I said, well, anything can be done poorly. In that sense, it's dangerous. I'd say color, sound, odor, emotion can be done shabbily and poorly, then it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think it's dangerous to not pay attention to one third of the lived experience of my patients. Yeah. I think it's dangerous to not pay attention to Link Shu 43, where clearly diagnostic significance is being paid to dream images. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Chinese medicine is dangerous in the hands of a nitwit. <laughs> so how do we check? How do we make sure that we're not doing something dangerous? That's where, for me, palpation comes in. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I believe the dream is screaming something is off in the metal element. I have to find that in the abdominal diagnosis, right? We've got Nanjing chapter 16. <clears throat> we've got uh, the pulse. We've got tongue. We've got palpating the large intestine and lung channels. We've got moo points. We've got back shoe points to palpate. We have to check in the body because in a dream group, you've got all these cross currents. And if someone's got a wild idea and it's not spot on, that will be turned up. It will be revealed in the group. But if it's just you and your patient, you have to guard against that by trying to confirm in the patient's body mm -hmm. the insight you think you have, you project that you have in their dream. Mm -hmm. So that becomes key. That's the most important point to make here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just like in, if we're talking about it in a dream group about someone's life or a psychological piece, there, there is a confirmation that that is important and true because the dreamer validates it. And if we're talking about health and healing and diagnosis and treatment, we need that confirmation. I see it as the dreams. There's so much we could possibly be paying attention to. There's so many ways we could approach any person. But if mm -hmm. the dream helps us see where the action is really, you know, and it can guide us to where to pay attention. And then there we find what we needed to find to treat, you know, then that's, that's the dream informing the treatment, not just telling us because, you know, um, a point name appeared that that should be needled directly. Exactly. 
Yeah. I'd love to circle back to that, that first dream that you shared with the snake, the eyes of the snake. Yeah. And ask you for people who don't know the Chinese medicine science of symbols at all, this symbol system, what do you think is going on there where someone who didn't sort of speak the language of Chinese medicine, but she dreams in green and yellow and trees and dirt and eyes and a snake, you know, what, what's happening there that we're seeing the symbols of Chinese medicine through her dream? Yeah, there's a key question and it's one that always uh, comes up. Um, this comes up also even leaving Chinese medicine aside, looking at the etymology of the names of the people in the dream, then the dreamer will say, well, I didn't know that. Uh -huh. I didn't know that John meant such and such or that Elizabeth meant such and such or that yeah. the family name meant such and such. Jeremy cited some other a dream expert, and I, I don't recall the name, I'm sorry, where this dream expert said that he felt that, that we, when we have a dream, we already know everyone we're going to share the dream with. Mm -hmm. And so we access their symbol system. So someone shares a dream with me, and there have been German puns in there. There have been Chinese puns, like <laughs> and dreaming of a dog named Xinxin. Wow. X-A-N is heart. The, the dog is pericardium. So you've got heart and pericardium. Yeah. You better believe that's a dream about the fire element. Yeah. And those two yin fire channels, probably, or organs, or both. Um, so puns get... Uh, laid in dreams like that as well. And uh, names, I always look up the meanings of the names that appear in dreams. And I'd say 80% of the time, they're very significant. Mm -hmm. So here, this idea that there is a, a sea of shared images in the unconscious, and some of those images speak to some people and some not, but if a dreamer dreams a dream with Chinese medicine images, and then they come to me as a patient, that in a sense, that's all part of the plan uh -huh. of the unconscious wanting to speak clearly. Mm. So some people don't buy that because then you have ideas of time buried in there that somehow they can know in advance who they're going to share the dream with and, and so on. But I, myself, I have no problem accepting that idea. Uh -huh. I, I probably have had 20 dreams with German puns in it. I speak German. Yeah. And uh, things like the Shinshin as a dog name. This just happens so much of the time that I, I couldn't e even count them. It's so, so many times. It makes me wonder what other puns and languages are being spoken that we're still just completely missing. Yeah, exactly. So I, I have another idea, and I, I wonder what you think about this too, which is that when we boil the symbols in Chinese medicine down to the most simple, to yin and yang, or let's say to the five elements, that these are really such fundamental properties of the universe 
that we're, whether we name them that way or not, every human being is experiencing the condensing of the water phase, the rising of the wood phase, the expanding of the fire phase, the, the cutting away of the metal phase, and the, and the centering of earth. We're all living in that. Right. And so certain other manifestations of those, for example, the color yellow or mm-hmm. the experience of being stuck, almost like musical notes that resonate with each other, those literally resonate with that same property of, of centeredness that is earth. And so even if someone's never thought about it in those terms, the color yellow inherently has that resonance. And so dreaming about it, it's like we're translating it into our Chinese medicine language as a way of understanding it and a way of maybe letting it give us insights, but everybody's sort of living in that mm-hmm. soup of symbols anyway. What, what do you think about that? No, I think what you just said is brilliant. I think in Chinese medicine world, maybe the Worsley people, you know, the British five element system do the best job of showing how the elements really are just movements in nature, but you just spoke your way through it brilliantly. So people who want to investigate further could check into, you know, the the work of Professor Worsley. Also, Heiner's website has to be mentioned here, Mm classicalchinesemedicine.org. It's, of course, a membership website, but there are a lot of free things on there that you can access without joining. And, And I think now in the coronavirus time period, they have radically reduced uh, the membership fee. So people Mm -hmm. might join. It's a way of supporting this work because as I said, his work on Chinese cosmology is absolutely unique in the world. Yeah. You know, he is a classical scholar. He told me, Heiner, we're talking about here, Heiner Fruhoff, that he probably even to this day has more hours logged in studying classical Greek than he does classical Chinese. Really? He's a a European classics scholar wow. who went on to study in China. And um, he just has the perfect mind to live in a, a sea of symbols. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy was like that way too. Uh, he knew all the Greek myths and saw them in dreams and, and so on. Although not really a classically trained uh, classics scholar, mm-hmm. you know, just... He had picked that up on his own. So going to Heiner's website and you'll see talks and articles where you can start to develop a little bit of a feel for what is metal, what is earth, what's different about the earth of stomach and the earth of spleen and so on. Great. I'll put a link to classicalchinesemedicine.org in the show notes for our episode. And uh, anyone who wants to dig in deeper there can. I've been spending time there myself lately because he's translating so much about coronavirus Uh treatment from the Chinese. And and that's all up there, too. So on the uh, very practical medical side of things, it's a really great resource, too. Okay, well, we are coming up on an hour, so we should probably wrap it up, even though I would like to talk to you for hours more and ask lots of other kinds of questions. Is there, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up or any invitation you might want to offer people who are getting curious about maybe exploring one of their own dreams in this way? Well, Jeremy 
excited this whole interest of dream groups. I think most cities in the U.S. have dream groups that maybe they're open to new members joining. So there, there is that uh, option. I have a, a seminar that's sold, a continuing ed seminar that's sold through Blue Poppy. So if you want to do a whole two hours or three hours, I can't remember how long it was. I have some YouTube videos on Chinese medicine, where I work Chinese medicine dreams. Uh, some of my blogs in the past at Blue Poppy have been on dreams. And I have a website for my seminar teaching, just bobquinnseminars.com. Okay. Dreams are there. Great. Great. I'll make this easy and put links for those on the show notes as well. So everybody can find you and yeah. dig deeper. And I'll say I'm very happy you're doing this. You know, I don't, I, I'm motivated to continue with the dream work. Just work three dreams for one of my mentors yesterday, in fact, very significant ones. Uh, but I'm not motivated right now to start a, a podcast. I doubt I ever will be. Uh-huh. But happy to come on yours, Michael Max, at uh, his recorded me. Yep, I listened to that one. Yeah. Uh, and we could in the future revisit and I could share more specific dreams, say, like uh, from Lyme disease patients. Yeah, that'd be great. I think hearing more stories, I mean, everybody loves the story way of learning about this. I mean, that's how dreams are talking to us is through story. And so hearing those and hearing how they've impacted people's lives and their healing is there's, there's nothing like it. So that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'll just say lovely to talk with you again. It's been years. Yes. I'm so happy you're doing this. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you know, you're my inspiration. You and Jeremy, the, getting to attend one of those workshops when he was there in Portland was a life-changing day for me. I should check the astrology on that date too, because that was a powerful experience and led me to be doing this. So many thanks to you yeah. for that and for this conversation. Thanks so much for listening today. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. Any dreams it brought to mind, ideas or questions? I'll second Bob's recommendation to look for a local dream group to join or start one. I also want to invite you again to join the Dreamers Den membership community. We get the opportunity to share dreams online and have the benefit of other caring, curious eyes and hearts on our words any day we like. We also meet live online for that face-to-face, real-time interaction that is just like nothing else. Visit thedreamersden.org to learn more and join. Doors are open until May 29th. And come on back to the Dreamers Den podcast for the next episode on the full moon, June 5th, which will be an interview with Carla Blowy. Until then, wishing you deep dreams.